begin this chat. In this recording, we're going to be talking about some of the frequently asked questions that were sent through from some of our uh, students going from Year 10 into Year 11 who want to understand a little bit more about what the VCE English course is all about and I suppose um, also answer any burning questions that they have. It's probably worth noting that a lot of the admin stuff that we do in our Head Start sessions, we'll cover some of these, but perhaps through the recording, we can go into a little bit more depth and detail than we'll have time for in our Head Start sessions. And this serves as a great reference point if there's something that um, you know was on your mind and was answered in Head Start, but uh, you haven't remembered it. But the first question we had was something that's a little bit more holistic and, and Miss Manners and I are going to talk about this because uh, we've had the great pleasure of having a number of uh, cohorts of VCE students yeah. through VCE English. Yeah. And um, one of the students asked, what are the qualities and habits of a great VCE English student? I love this question. So whoever's put this forward, I really hope that they're in my class. <laughs> I think that it's a fantastic question and and, um, and I, I don't necessarily think that there's a nice, neat answer for it either. I think that everybody um, manages their VCE English in different ways um, and I don't think that there's a right or a wrong way to kind of do it but I think that there are probably some threads that um, enable people to, to deal with VCA English in a really sustainable way. I think that students who look at um, VCA English as a bit of a journey um, uh, are those students who tend to be very sort of successful. So um, what we consistently see is very incremental growth throughout year 11 and that incremental growth continues right through to um, year 12 and typically we see students peaking in terms of the quality of writing the quality of their thinking their analysis their their ability to infer all of those sorts of things they peak right at the end of year 12 and I think that the students or I, I consider the students who who were really successful of the students who just continually sort of chip away at things, the students who, when they get a piece of feedback, they go away and they reflect upon that and they very intentionally and deliberately apply that feedback as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. They also, I mean, do you agree, Miss Watkins, that also students who do, you know, very well at, at BCE English are the students who write very consistently? Particularly, uh, given the fact that the year 11 course is mirrored in the year 12 course it is a journey as you've said and I think that initially students may have to do some recalibration of their expectations um, the the course in itself is similar to 7 to 10 English and we'll talk about that but I think that the nature of the responses that are expected in English it is something where you can sort of game the system and get some really good strategies for responding in ways that are 
focused, impressive, analytical, etc. Um, but it is an incremental growth and it is a layering of skills that develops over that time. And in terms of, so the question was about qualities and habits, the habit is that consistent written practice. And each of the assessments we do in the year 11 course, we provide a replica uh, sort of mock-up version, I suppose, of each of those assessments prior to the, the real thing. And we encourage students to ensure that they have done those tasks prior to their actual assessments and, and gained feedback on those as well. The other thing that I would add around qualities of a great VCE English student is if we, we look at the assessment criteria when it comes down to the Unit 3-4 exam, each of those criteria specifically uses the word analysis and I think being uh, a thinker who is able to analyse rather than to recount, rather than to regurgitate, um, you know, it's somebody who's ready to interrogate and work with um, the material that's presented to them. Yeah, I fully agree. I think the I think the other thing that I would maybe add in terms of habits, we've increasingly seen the students who are prepared to work with others. Um, and collaborate with others to share their work, to engage in discussion. They're the students who do particularly well in English. But if you are somebody who up until this point tends to work as a bit of a silo, so somebody who tends to work sort of on their own, um, you can still do exceptionally well, but it's a pretty lonely sort of journey and it's, it makes, I think, it, it much harder than what it probably needs to be. Um, you know, certainly I think working with others, alongside others, discussing things with people, sharing, sharing the knowledge and, and sharing the experience and sharing, you know, examples of, of best practice, I think are, is absolutely the way to go. Um, and, and that's typically if anybody would have walked through the library, you would have seen groups of students um, working together and, and talking with um, the U12 English teachers they're the students who tend to have the most success, I yeah, think. Absolutely. You're rewarded for the quality of your ideas and the quality of your ideas is only as strong as, you know, the input into formulating them. So if you've got multiple people creating that input, then, of course, those ideas are going to be richer. Yeah. Um, the next question we had is around the format of the course, and I think this is a quick one. We'll go through a complete overview of the course in our Head Start sessions, but... In terms of format, you can expect similar experiences to Year 10 English in that you will do analytical responses, creative responses, uh, oral presentations, you will do analysis of argument and language. So all of those familiar aspects of Year 10 English are um, baked into the course. And the next question is, how fast-paced is the course? <laughs> I think it's fair to say that it, it is pretty fast paced. I mean, um, there aren't a lot of sort of lulls over the course of the year. Um, I think that the timeline that we have, um, which which you girls will receive in Head Start, is, um, is very fair and reasonable. Um, in terms of, you know, how it compares to the pace of the Year 12 course, it's maybe a little, a little slower, slightly slower. Um, if you think that the Year 12 course is finished at the end of Term 3, 
essentially. Um, obviously, with year 11, you go all the way through into term four, into about week six or week seven. Um, but you do have, you know, two smaller or, or two extra um, smaller assessments um, to complete. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we, just, we move, I think, pretty, pretty smoothly through things. And, um, and, and the pace, I think, is very fair and very, very reasonable. But you definitely want to be making sure that you are um, sticking to the timelines and, and keeping on top of your work and developing some really good habits around, um, you know, keeping up with what's happening in the class. Yeah, yeah, I think the flip side of that question is, you know, um, the pace is is reasonable. Um, the Year 12 course has five different SATs um, that are used for the school assessed coursework. The Year 11 course has seven different outcome assessments. Uh, we, we do prepare you incredibly well for those, but mm. it does rely on, on your consistent um, sort of keeping up with the month. Course. So, yeah, I think um, it's worthwhile also saying at this point that the text, because there is a question in here about, um, you know, the texts that are studied and, and so on, and we will go through those texts, um, which make up, you know, the bulk of the coursework um, during Head Start. But it's worthwhile saying that we're really strategic in terms of how we set up the, the Year 11 course and the text that we've got on the Year 11 course that, you know, they cover many of the same themes and ideas and issues that are reflected in the year 12 course. So if you really sort of maximise your opportunities at year 11, you are setting yourself up um, really, really strongly for, for the following year in relation to, to year 12 English. Yes, and I will quote one of our texts, um, or <laughs> Marco's uh, inimitable line, which is, fasten your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> in a good way. It's going to be a bumpy ride in a good way. I think, and I can't, yeah, and like I love that you just quoted all that because I just can't wait to teach it, my, my, one of my all-time faves. There is also a question on here around um, do we have English SATs as well as the midterm and end of year exam? Yeah, so at little linguistic points, some of our questions that came through referred to SATs, SATs and SACs. Um, they're terms that we tend to use for uh, Year 12 um, because VCAR does have those um assessment results forwarded to them. In year 11, we refer to outcome assessments. So essentially what that means is you have an assessment which is designed to allow you to demonstrate your understanding of the, the sort of dot points that are in the study design uh, in order to achieve that outcome that's set out in the study design. So in terms of outcome assessments, uh, you do have seven across the year. Um, we start off with a creative, there's an um, analysis of argument and language, we then do an uh, analytical text response. By that point, it's mid-year exam time. Um, we do another analysis of argument and language in unit two and a comparative text response as well. And of course, we'll be starting the year with the oral um, presentation of an issue in the media. So that's the seven. And it's from an exam perspective, um, there is a two hour and 15 minute exam in the middle of the year mm -hmm. and the end of year exam for year 11, we make a replica of the year 12 exam. So that is a three hour and 15 minute um, exam, which is the longest exam that you do have to sit. Um, and that's why we like to give you a little bit of practice um, doing that in year 11 as well. 
Absolutely. And so I think we've talked about the sort of coursework, the assessment dates, the workload expectations in enough depth for now. Um, the next thing we can go on to, I suppose, is how to set yourself up for success in VCE English. Um, the kinds of work you can be doing uh, in the holidays to prepare for next year. Uh, how, how, how do you actually study for English? It's a great question. Somebody's asked it, but it is, there are some concrete strategies that you can use aside from sitting there and looking at the book um, and, and hoping that, that the um, nature of the response will go into your head. So we'll talk about, um, I suppose, preparation you can be doing um, in the summer break and also the more general question of how does one study for English? The next question directly following that is how many times should I read each text? So this is a bit of a loaded question because um, I think our, our default position is always going to be, oh, as many times as you possibly can. But I think that um, the more realistic expectation is probably to have at least one reading under your belt by the time we get to that text within the course. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if you can possibly kind of do some reading alongside what we're doing, um, you know, as we're sort of studying those different texts um, and then obviously in preparation for the exam. I mean, the reality is the more you read your text, the more familiar you're going to be with them. And so therefore, um, in all likelihood, the broader your knowledge, the more in-depth your knowledge and your understanding um, is going to be simply because you are more familiar with them. I'd back that. I, I sort of tend to talk about um, different stages of engaging and reading with the text. So the summer holidays is the time to sit down and, and read those texts purely in the way that you would read any novel, you know, understanding the story, the characters and, and gaining a familiarity with the plot. Um, then there's more intentional readings that you'll do, for instance, as you move towards studying it in the classroom. And there are focused occasions in the classroom as well where we will, you know, uh, look at specific passages or parts of the text together. Um, but pre-reading of the text before you come to study it in your class lessons is crucial. And I guess, you know, when it comes to reading those texts, everybody has different systems for the way that they annotate those as well. I think that both of us are absolutely advocates for um, being prepared to scribble in your text is really important. So if you are somebody who doesn't like um, drawing in your texts, you need to maybe get over that. This year. <laughs> now, is, now is the time to break that habit. You know, be prepared to scribble and, and everybody, you know, determines their own sort of um, method for doing it. Um, I know Miss Watkins, you know, really loves to sort of put different colour tags and has a colour-coded system. Um, it's whatever sort of works for you more than anything else, but you definitely need to be prepared to annotate. You need to be prepared to graffiti your texts. And if you're looking at sort of on-selling those, I'll tell you now they're worth more with the annotations in them. Yes, yes. Wow. What we often see is, you know, the first chapter or two that are really heavily annotated. And yes. <laughs> yeah. So you annotate in a way that is sustainable for you as well. Yeah. You know, start the way you wish to end kind of thing. Exactly. I mean, it's understandable to such some extent there's usually a lot of, of foregrounding and stuff set up in those opening chapters mm. um, I do have a very concrete system so like I I have specific colors that are associated now with specific things so I do themes in pink I do 
key passages in orange. I do structural features and literary techniques in yellow. I do my characterization um, tabs in green. And I do things about context and setting with blue tabs. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm stuffed if Officeworks ever stops selling those particular post-it notes in that colour range because <laughs> I am very attached to that technique. <laughs> but I've seen lots of, of different um, permutations of that and everything in between. Um, there's a question here about how I can increase my vocabulary. Um, one of the things that I would say in relation to that is that you need to you need to create your own word banks. That as you work through each of the sections of the course, whether that is a, a section uh, related to text or if it's the analyzing argument section, word banks are going to be your best friend. That is how you develop vocabulary. It's not enough to just be sort of passively reading things. Um, certainly, reading secondary readings in relation to the text will help you, you know, be exposed to different ways of saying things. But that means nothing unless you actually take that second step where you write down the word that you really like or the phrase that you really liked. You need to create word banks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that um, uh, some more concrete strategies, um, and, and we'll just wind up with this one. Um, so thank you, everyone, for hanging in there with this. But some more concrete strategies um, include, like, I've got some apps. There's one called Word Up. Um, you can play Scrabble on your device with a friend. Um, so there's a Word Feud app, which is a version of Scrabble. Um, and, and reading widely, you know, not just um, novels, um, but non-fiction texts, media texts, the ways that you see ideas expressed and the multitude of ways that you see ideas expressed is going to feed into your own um, vocabulary and your own capacity to express yourself. Um, so that really does bring us to the end of the, the questions that we had to answer. And, um, of course, we will be happy to speak with you further um, and answer any follow-up questions that you have.